Hello, Bethel's Rock. Welcome. I am so glad to be with you today. Uh, we're going to continue on in our series, Divine Encounters. You know, there was a point where I thought, well, maybe I'd move on to something else, but I really want to stay in this lane of Divine Encounters because there are so many incredible uh, biblical characters uh, that have really set an example for each of us. And Hebrews 12 is perfect in this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run the race. And I really believe that that's what God is calling us to do is run the race. But in running our race, like many runners that go to other successful runners and ask for advice, we have the opportunity to go into the scriptures and actually discover people who've run before us with great success and learn from their lessons. And I, I really want to talk about uh, another one of these great examples uh, that, are found, that is found in the scripture, and his name was Elisha. Now, Elisha had a mentor. His mentor was Elijah, and there's there's a big difference between the two. Elijah was great. He had never tasted death. He actually goes straight to heaven in a chariot of fire. One of the two people uh, in the scriptures who actually did not die a natural death. And God, God just plucked him up and took him uh, to heaven without dying. He was probably one of the greatest prophets in history, uh, recording almost 14 recorded miracles. He actually shows up in the New Testament when Jesus was transfigured. He appeared in his glorified body uh, with Jesus, who was also in a glorified body, with Moses, who was also there. He also, Elijah also appears in Revelation, two people that revelations say will come from heaven. The Bible calls them the two witnesses and most believe will be Moses and Elijah because of the details in the passage. So the question you're probably asking is why are we talking, why aren't we talking about Elijah and, and why are we talking about Elisha, the one he mentored? Well, I think Elisha is someone we can relate to a little better. Uh, he recorded 28 miracles in the Bible, and his beginning wasn't great. It wasn't the celebrated beginning we might think. Elisha wondered, would his life really count? And I think that's the question we all ask ourselves. Is my life really going to count? Uh, does my life count? And I think for many people, they want their life to count. They want their life to make a difference, but they don't really know how and they, and, and they don't know how to get there. And maybe they haven't had someone. They feel like um, there's so many things they don't have that would cause them to be a life-changing person or someone who would change the lives of others or impact the lives of others. But Elisha was no different than we are. Um, here is a man who came from a family that wasn't poor. Uh, he would have, it would have been a wealthy family because they had 12 oxen, and we'll read that in the scripture. And he, he's got his job is steering oxen. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if, if most, uh, most of his life was spent farming, steering oxen, that was his job, looking at the rear end of two oxen. 
Elisha would have never guessed, by the way, his life started that he would end up doing twice the number of miracles of the person he was admiring. He, he's staring at the backside of oxen. <laughs> at what point do you think he would have sat there and thought, you know what? You know, Elijah, the prophet that everyone knows, the one the kings have counsel with, I'm going to do more miracles than that. I think everybody who would have heard him say that or heard him even mention that or even think that would have said he was crazy. Most of us don't see ourselves correctly, just like Elisha didn't see himself correctly. We're in graduation senior, uh, season, and, and there are a number of graduates that say, yeah, I just kind of want to get out there, and I just kind of want to make it. And many of them aren't thinking their life is anything going to be anything more than just maybe just making it. They hope it will be, but they wouldn't necessarily bet that they're going to be this big world changer or they're going to do these incredible things that they've seen other people do, you know, because they have an incorrect view of themselves. If, if I were going to show you the viewpoint of who you are or how God saw you, you would see the greatness of God in you. You see, God is in us. And because of that fact, greatness is in us. God has greatness for you. So how do I get from the vantage point of behind whatever your oxens are, looking at the back of your oxen, and, and if you think about it, you see, you know what comes out of the back of the oxen. Sometimes we think, that's my viewpoint. I think God wants us to get to the point, uh, because when you wonder if your life counts, give your best wherever God puts you. I think if Elisha was here right now, that's what he would tell you. You know what? If you want your life to count, give your best wherever God puts you. Whenever you're doing the things that are monotonous in life, remember that God is watching. God is watching how you respond to it. God is watching how you handle it. Most of the giants uh, of the scriptures would, that would step out of the stand would say, let me tell you how God works. I think many times, because we don't know how God works or we don't understand it, um, we, we can get confused. And I think what they would say is, God is watching you before you become great to see if you have the potential to be great. See, greatness isn't something that just uh, just comes on you. It is something that is established when no one is looking, when no one is around. Give your best wherever you are, whatever company you're in, whatever school you're in, whatever class you're in. Give your best when no one is watching. Always give your best because when you think no one is watching, God is watching. You know, I think Elisha would say, wherever you are, give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. Give your best in obscurity. Now, obscurity is you think you're, you're not being seen or noticed by anyone, even God. And I don't think, uh, uh, you know, there are times where, where we're at and we, we just don't believe God is there. Like, we don't believe God is watching or people are watching. We're doing a lot of things and and we're, we're looking at it and we're like, man, why, do I, why am I paying so close attention to all this? Why am, try, why am I trying so hard? Nobody notices. Nobody cares what I'm doing. I think Elisha would say, if you're going to be great, your attitude must be, I'm going to do this right. And I'm going to do it with great care and excellence, regardless of who is watching.
because it is good for who it's for. If it's for God, it is, it must be excellent for who it's for. You know, in 1 King, where we're going to start today in the scripture in 1919, in the New Living Translation, it says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing in a field, and there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team, the last team. I'm sure nobody, he wasn't sitting there thinking anybody was watching. He's in the last team. And Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. So Elisha doesn't come from a poor family because uh, families didn't have 12 yokes of oxen. And, but he's in the 12th yoke, probably not the son. Maybe he's the 12th of sons or just at the end, but he comes from a pretty well-to-do family. And Elijah comes up and he throws his cloak around him, which, which would be the equivalent of someone hiring someone in that day or uh, saying, I want to take you on. I want, you to, I, want it, I want to be a covering for you. And then it says, across his shoulders, and then Elijah walks away. And for 10 years, nothing happens. He knows he's called. He knows he had a dream, but yet nothing happens. Many years go by, uh, and, and from the time that he was called to do something, but he wasn't brought into it to do that. And in obscurity, you can really get caught up in that, like, I'm forgotten, nobody knows who I am, nobody cares who I am. And many uh, years ago when I started in ministry, um, there was there there some moments when I started in the sense of obscurity, you know, I had created a ministry plan and a strategy that improved to bring a whole lot of success. And um, whenever uh, the pastor or others would retell the story, they always retold the story with them getting all the credit and I was the one that did all the work. Now, I know you can relate with that because all of us have been in a situation where we have done all the work and we did all the planning and then we saw success only to have the people who uh, either hired us or around us take all the credit for all of the stuff you've done. You've all been there. And I, and I would tell my wife, you know, the stories of what happened. Here I'm working all these crazy hours and the painstaking phone calls and, and staying up at night trying to think about it. And, 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 uh, and he's talking about how tough it is. And I'm, I'm like, it ain't tough. No, 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 I did it. You didn't do anything. And, and my wife got so tired of hearing me complain about it. She told me to grow up. She didn't want to hear any more about it. And she's like, you need to go to the Lord and fix it. You know, everybody needs a, a great wife in their life. And I needed an encounter with God, and I got one. The Lord came to me, and, and um, he, he really began to deal with my heart and, and the attitude of my heart. And I needed to learn to be the best number two guy that ever lived. You know, it didn't change. I continued to do a lot of work and to get the credit. But what had changed was my heart and my mindset and my attitude that I was, I, I was going to be the best number two and I was going to make him look as good as I could make him look. Knowing 
that I was doing it for the Lord and I wasn't doing it for anyone else but him. And he's worthy of doing that. You know, Matthew 6, 4, it says, your father sees what is done in secret and will reward you. You got to believe that promise. And, and in that scripture, it says, so when you pray, don't go out and pray in front of everybody, out in front of everyone so you get their praise. Don't, don't go do it so everybody looks at you and tells you how spiritual you are. Or fasting, don't go around sucking in your cheeks to get their attention, saying, well, I'm fasting, you know, to try to somehow show that you're more spiritual than others, or even giving, where you, where you say, well, here, everybody, I, I, I'm going to, it reminds me of a story when, when I was in a place, I, I would go to this gun place to shoot trap, and and in the back, every once in a while, I'd get a burger, and, and uh, they had a jar there, and this girl would always do a great job making the burger. But I would always wait to put the tip in because I wanted her to see that the money in the jar, some of it came for me. So I, I wanted her to see it. When this scripture says, don't do it so people can see your giving. Don't raise your hand and, and work to get people to notice that you're giving. Do it in secret. Do it in obscurity. Get used to not having to get the glory of people or the recognition of people for being like Christ. I think many people want to do the things of Christ so that people can see us being like Christ rather than just being like Christ. Here's the second thing. Give your best in small things and God will give you bigger things to do. What an incredible promise. It's the reality, too. God cares about the details. He cares about the small things. If we're going to do it, we need to do it right. We need to take care of the details of everything we do in our life. In 1 Kings 19, it says, So Elisha returned, his ox, returned to his oxen, slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build the fire to roast the flesh. And then he went with Elijah as an assistant. So he leaves his lifestyle, his prosperous lifestyle, to a future of being the servant of Elijah. What an incredible thought that he's going to leave all of that behind in order to serve this man, Elijah. God is watching for the condition and the order in your life. You know, uh, he went into obscurity to do this, and then he did what he did well. He because God cares how you manage and steward what you have, what you have, and and in the situation you're in. Why would God entrust the true riches if you cannot handle the little things you already have? You know, um, I used to many years ago. I had the opportunity to teach master commission students who are college, who are college age students that really go through a discipleship program. And one of the things I said to them, you know, how, how do you take care of the blessings God has given you in your life? And one of those blessings is your car. And I'm like, it, it, one of the things I said to them was, if you don't take care of your car, if you don't keep your car clean, why would God trust you with great riches and greatness if you can't even keep, take care of the blessings God's already put in your life? If you can't even clean the floorboards of your car, why would God expand your territory? If it doesn't matter to you how you take care of what God's already given you, why would God give you more uh, to allow to get out of order? Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Just, just, just show up. Just show up. Even when you're um, just there to support, just show up. I remember one time when I was with Pastor Dan and we, we went into the city meeting and while we were in the city meeting, I was only there to support him and, and to be with him. There was no reason for me to even be there. I wasn't even invited. I just came with him. And I could have been doing a lot of other things. It was on my day off, but I decided to go with him and to do that. And uh, while I was there, there were all of these older women and men who are leaders in our community, and they were wrestling over how to solve some of the problems in the community. And one of them turns to me and says, what do you think about it? And, and I had already been formulating thoughts and plans in my mind as they were talking, so I shared my opinion. And then they started asking me questions. And even though I was not invited to, the, uh, to be part of this audience or be part of this group, the opportunity arose because I inserted myself by just supporting someone else. An opportunity arose to be part of formulating a strategy that would be part of leading a community. You never know what God will use you in if you don't first care for the opportunities he gives you. So here's the third thing. Give your best in the natural and God will do the supernatural. Give the be your best in the natural and God will do the supernatural. Elisha would tell us to go bold with God. Now, this, this part of this message, I, you really need to hear. 2 Kings 2, 9 says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And he said, Let me inherit. This is a bold question. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. Now you know Elisha is going to do everything it takes to see him when he goes. In every encounter, God will ask you the same kind of question. What do you want me to do for you? I believe that uh, we need to be asking God and all kinds of, uh, of things, and supernatural things, not natural things. I think we've become content to just say, oh, Lord, bless this food. <laughs> God's like, really? Oh, Lord, give me a raise. Oh, Lord, give me this house. Oh, Lord, give me that man. Give me that woman. This, this has been the extent of a lot of our prayers and that we have prayed. And Elisha's like, okay, you're asking me? I will take a double portion of the anointing that you're walking in. And Elijah's like, wow. That, that's a supernatural ass. That's a big ass. God answered that prayer. All Elisha had to do was ask. That's all he had to do. He, all he had to do was the natural. Just ask. Here's the question I have for you. Have you stopped asking God for big things, for great things, for difficult things, for supernatural things? When was the last time you asked God for something that even he would say, that's a big deal. 
That's a difficult thing. That's a supernatural thing. We are so caught up in small thinking and in small prayers. How many of us have stopped believing God for the big things? That God wants to do the big things. That somewhere along the line, we thought in our mind or we think in our mind that God has stopped doing the supernatural at the end of the Bible. That somehow at the end of the Bible, he stopped doing it. Well, there's some truth to that. It, the, the only thing is the end of the Bible still hasn't happened. Revelation is still yet to come. It's still in the process. We are still in that season where God is doing God-sized things in our life. And he wants to. He's just waiting for us to ask. He really is. You know, some of the things that I ask God for, uh, pretty much, if, if not daily, weekly, I ask God for the anointing of Elisha, the wisdom of Solomon, and the favor of David. The anointing of Elisha, the wisdom of Solomon, the favor of David. And I believe the Lord gives that. He answers that. He shows up just like he did in Elisha's life. You know, isn't it interesting that Elijah had 14 recorded miracles and Elisha had 28, exactly double of the recorded miracles that Elijah had, a double portion. John 14, 12 says this, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then it says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So why not ask? Don't give up on dreaming. Why not ask God? for something incredible, something beyond anything you would even think possible. And I think Elisha would come and say, I think a reason a lot of times why people don't ask, and I think Elisha would agree with this, and he would come out and say, it's because there's some things happening in their life where they just don't know what to ask. So I think if Elisha were here, these would be the words of encouragement he'd give us. The first one is, learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Learn how to get close to God. And, and why would you do that? Because when you are close to God, He will show you vision that your mind cannot conceive. The reason a lot of people fail to ask for supernatural things is because they don't have the ability to conceive them. But when you're in the presence of God and you find the presence of God, God conceives them in your heart. He births them in your heart. You know, there's a great story that involves Elisha and, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's in, in, his, uh, in the word. And it said there were three kings, Judah, Israel, and Edom. And they go to fight one king, uh, the king of Moab. And uh, all of them, all is going well until they run out of water. And you really can't survive for more than three days without water. So people are dying, animals are dying, and they're in trouble. And then one of the dudes says, isn't there anyone left that hears from God? And someone says, well, I think there's an Elisha cat. He could bring him over. We could bring him over and see what he'd have to say. And I just want to take a side note right here. I just want to stop. You know, don't allow culture to mess you up. Don't freak out with where culture's going because everything that is outside of God is going to fail. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There isn't anything Satan can do. Satan can't bring life. He can only kill things, steal things, destroy things. So when he tries to build something, he can only destroy it. 
He can only kill it. It's like if you give Satan a plant, it's going to die because he's Satan. It, it, that, that's what happens. I think we freak out thinking Satan's going to win. Satan is a defeated foe. He cannot win. And every person that has been running in this culture, and it feels like it's right, they will come back to the people of God. And Elisha comes back to them. And he asks them, what is it? Ask them, what does he need? They ignored him for many years and kind of put him in obscurity. And, but like, what do you need? And they said, well, we need water. So in 2 Kings 3.15, this is what it says. Uh, and that really sets up the story for this point right here. He says, but now bring me a harpist. Okay, what do you need? Well, we need water. Great, bring me a harpist. <laughs> bring me a worship engine. I'm, I'm sure they're sitting there bringing you a what? Like, we need water. We don't need music. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. What does that mean, the hand of the Lord? What is it about? He knew that there was no hope for them unless he got close to God. He knew the only way to do that was to worship the creator of water. When you need something in your life, you need to worship the one who created what you need in your life. God had never stopped talking to people but they had stopped listening. And when you worship, you, you come back to this place where you open your ears to hear from God. You know, dreams are birthed in God's presence. And worship is what ushers us into the Holy of Holies. It's what ushers us into the... If you want to go into the presence of God, I encourage you, go get the harpist. And, and I don't mean you need to go get a harpist, but turn on the worship. Begin to worship God. Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with with Jesus. The distinguishing factor is these men had been with Jesus. They had spent time with God. Elisha would say, stay close to God, pray fast, and God will give you divine dreams, divine purpose, and eternal purpose. Here's the second advice he'd give us. At some point, you have to wake up and do something. You know, you can't just dream. There will be open doors for you to do something about it. If God gave you a dream, he didn't intend for you to sit there and to do nothing. You know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, they watched him and, and he said, I'm going to come back for you. He'd given them a promise that I'm going to come back for you. Now go and, and, go and, 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 and fulfill the great commission. And they're standing and they're looking at Jesus saying, is he going to come back? Is this just one of the shows that we're going to see? And he's looking up and, and an angel comes over to the disciples and says, what are you looking at? And I can just see him looking at him and looking up. And what are you guys looking at? Stop looking in the sky. Stop waiting for the vision. You got it. Now let's go and do it. Dreams must move from inspiration to participation. 2 Kings 3.16 says, This is what the Lord said, Make this valley full of ditches. So what he was saying to these guys, even though there were no clouds in the sky, there was no evidence that there was going to be rain coming, he said to them, Go start building ditches. And imagine being the people sitting there. Okay, first thing, we asked you for water, and you went and got a harpist. Now you get the harpist, and now you're telling us to dig ditches in the valley 
So when there are no clouds, I mean, there's no rain coming. You know, the weatherman said that it wasn't coming. And you know how, how uh, faithful the weathermen are. They're never wrong. You know, there's nothing coming at all. So many Christians are really stuck in this whole trying to act like a good Christian thing. Like they're, they're, they're stuck in this place of trying to behave well that they actually don't actually go and do the work of the kingdom. They don't ever move to the building part uh, of the ministry. That We're all trying to act like good Christians rather than to walk like believers. James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you're not actually walking it out, it's dead. You really don't have faith. And here's the third encouragement that you give us, and I think this is true for all of us. Don't base your life on the seen, but the unseen. 2 Kings 3, uh, 17 says, For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, Yet this valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and your other animal will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. A lot of us get discouraged when we don't see signs. Just because we don't see anything doesn't mean God isn't working. In fact, when what we see does not match what God spoke, it is then at that moment we must walk by faith and not by sight. If Elisha were sitting here right now and talking to you, I think he'd say, hey, I kept telling him to dig, and there was not even a cloud in the sky. And I'm sure some of them were probably moaning and complaining about how nothing was working right, and we just, you know, there's no clouds, and why are we digging this hole in the ground, and all of that stuff. But if, if you go back and look at the scripture in Kings, it says that, that literally, uh, yet this valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and your other animal will drink. But it won't come if you don't dig the ditches, if you don't prepare for it. When we put our faith in what, we, what is seen, we may find ourselves living in discouragement. So I want to ask you a question. What are you looking for? 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Don't let the seen things determine what you believe about what God has told you to do. You know, um, there's been all kinds of things or times in my life where God has spoken to me that something was going to happen. And when I looked around, I'm like, that's impossible. There is no way that can happen. There is no reason, there is no evidence, there is no signs that says that can happen, but I know I heard from the Lord. You know, all of us have heard the Lord in something that we just didn't think, wow, how is that even going to happen? But if you will commit yourself to walk by faith and to take the steps in spite of the fact that there's no cloud in the sky. In spite of the fact there's no evidence it's going to change. In spite of the, But you walk, prepare for what God will do. He may just release the heavens and pour water into your valley and into your ditches. You know, um, Elisha was an incredible prophet. He actually ended up having a double portion of the anointing that Elijah did. Everything Elijah did, he doubled 
in his life and ministry. It began in a place where he probably wondered if his life was even going to matter. Maybe you're at that place. I don't even know if my life's going to matter. Well, your life will not matter if you don't start asking God to make it matter. And how are you going to do that? You do that by getting close to him and he opens your eyes and he opens your ears so that he can conceive incredible things in your life. I want to encourage you to do that. If you're sitting there and listening to this right now and you're wondering, God, I want to do great things. I want to be like an Elisha. I want a double portion of Elisha. God, give me that. When you start asking, what if God, what if he just showed up and started doing it? And I believe he will. He says, you have not because you ask not. I, I don't know how many people really believe that. Because if they did, I think people would be asking a whole lot more because they knew God would come through and do it. I want to encourage you. What is it that you want to ask God that would be far bigger than anything you've ever asked him? A God-sized thing, something he would conceive in your heart. Because I believe when we do that, we're going to start to see incredible things happening on earth through the kingdom of God on earth. Will you pray with me this morning, right now? Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that there are people listening to this right now that are in small beginnings. They, they're at a place where they don't even know if their life even matters. Lord, but it does matter. You have a purpose for their life. And God, there's some incredible things you want to conceive in their heart and in their mind. But they don't often find themselves in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would just even now draw them into your presence. Uh, Lord God, your word says that if we draw to you, you will draw unto us. Lord, if we come and worship you, if we ascribe worth to you, you will ascribe worth to us. And you will conceive uh, incredible ideas and thoughts and visions and dreams in our life. Lord, I pray that you do that in the life of every person watching and listening right now. In Jesus' name, amen.